On today's podcast, I answer unanswered questions, and the questions are asked by Josh Liston, the podcast host for Punching Sideways and Tips of the Slung, neither of which are safe for work. Kick it! Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Well, as you heard in the intro there, today I'm going back in time, sort of. Josh Liston, who listens to the podcast down in Australia, has taken some notes. He said many times I didn't quite answer some questions that came up in the podcast, so he's holding my feet to the fire and getting those answers today. Let's go ahead and get into it. Everything else from here on out is all Josh. Okay, so folks, here is the story. Rick Roberts, who runs the School of Laughs, has this incredible podcast that I am a massive fan of, and I keep listening to the first 20, 30, 40, 50 episodes, which featured at the time his co-host, Gavin, who's since moved on from the show. But throughout that period, a lot of the time Rick was saying, we should do a show about this in the future. This is a future episode. We need to do a full episode. And as a super fan of School of Laughs, some of those things never actually came to fruition. So basically today I offered to Rick to bring up a couple of those topics and then I'm going to go away and edit them and send them back to him. And he can do whatever he likes with it. So Rick, do you want to spend two or three minutes on each of these? (laughs) Yeah, it sounds great. And thanks for doing this. That's all right. It's just as a real fan of the show, it feels like giving back something to the show or mostly to the community around the show. So in episode seven... You mentioned passion versus skill, that people sometimes have a lot of passion, but they don't maybe have as much skill. So can you give me the 20, that was 2013, maybe 2014. What's your 2020 take on passion versus skill? Yeah, that's great. You know, the, a real quick example it would be, I have a passion for basketball, but I've got a skill for mowing the yard. So I could follow my passion. And a lot of people are passionate about comedy. They love to laugh. And when they come to take a class, they're like, they're just full of, I got to go full steam ahead and they want the results tomorrow. And they don't realize that it takes years to build up the skill level to get those results. So there's a disconnect between the level of passion they have and the skill set. And so my goal as a teacher is to give them short term assignments to give them momentum towards getting those skills going and keeping them engaged passionately until they get to that level. And it's, it can be hard because we're talking, it could be a year, it could be two years, it could be never that you actually have developed the skills, but you have that passion for it. And so I hate to temper their excitement at the beginning, but I always feel led to say, listen, comedy is just, it's such a moving target. There's a lot of luck involved. There's a ton of skill involved. You do need to have the passion that you would do this even without getting paid for it. That That's the passion level you should have. But you have to also realize that you have to sustain that passion for a long time. So if this is just a, a flash in the wind where you, you saw one comedy special and you think you can be a comedian, it's going to be hard. But if you've loved comedy your entire life and have found success just telling stories to your friends or even strangers, then you may have a skill set already. So my goal as a teacher is to close those two, the gap between those two as quickly as possible, but as realistically as possible. Excellent. That was a good summation. You've had seven you. seven years to come up with that, so <laughs> that's about the length of, I remember you said famously on the podcast, 
Yeah, it takes five to seven years to get good, and by that time, the stories you're telling don't suit your face. So you've got to start all over again. <laughs> so that's the thing that I got most out of the show, Rick, was the non-perfectability of comedy compared to something like music. I was a progressive rock fan, which is about technique more than anything and song structure, but you can get the song 99% perfected without it's another human even seeing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking in seven to 10 year cycles with comedy, whereas I used to think in seven to 10 month cycles with music. So that's where I know that it's going to take a long time for the skills to match how much passion I have at the moment. So in episode 10, you mentioned to Gavin at the time, the comedy writer and what's in a comedy writer now being 2020 for anyone that's doing a show that if they happen to be, the, the writer's probably completely different. There'd be a lot of hand sanitizer and masks in the writer, I would assume, but what is generally in a comedy writer? Okay, so yeah, when you when you get to the point where you're being paid and you're doing contracts, the contracts are involves the must-haves. Here's how much I get paid. Here's what the stage should look like. Here's how many microphones. Here's where they're seated, all those things. The writer is, here's an extra list of things that would really make me happy if you could do it. And depending on the level of... Uh, professionalism and the level of demand that the comic has, that writer might be non-negotiable. It might be an extension of the contract. For most of us, it's these things would be great if you could have them handy. And so let's for say, for example, I'm going to, let's just pick a church gig and then we'll pick a comedy gig that's outside of a church next real quick. But if you're going to a, a church event, they may have a house where they put missionaries or they put guests when of the preacher or something like that and they may just automatically assume that for a comedian we can put him in this bunkhouse out in the middle of the woods and that'll be fine so you might put prefers a hotel room with wi-fi running hot water and privacy you know those things and that, that could be in your contract should be you know covered at some point the writer also would include like what kind of food or snacks you would like in the green room if if you're traveling straight there, you might want a couple of towels and a place to wash up a little bit before you hit the stage. A merchandise table outside the showroom would be something that could be in the rider. They would have the right to say no. And certainly some churches look at any kind of selling stuff inside a church, similar to the story where Jesus flipped over the tables of merchants that were inside the tabernacle. So you'd want to know that going in so you don't end up bringing three boxes of t-shirts or whatever to sell and you have no place to put it. So... The writer in 2020 and definitely included some hand sanitizer, uh, maybe some mask, or maybe that we don't do a meet and greet before or after the show with the uh, VIPs. Maybe people paid extra to sit in a certain section. And pre-COVID, you would meet them during dinner or after the show. Maybe now it's, I would prefer just to wave from the stage and say, hey, next year we'll do this a little bit closer. So the writer is just a list of things that are nice to have. It's not a demand but boy, if you could do these things, I'd be super happy. And the last thing on the writer is there are comics that have like a 10-page writer, okay? There's like a ridiculous amount of stuff. And they know that nobody could give them all 10 pages of those things. But they know if it's 10 pages, they're going to at least read it. If it's yeah. a paragraph, they may get missed. So people sometimes would have this crazy writer with the expectation that none of, not all of it would be taken care of, but some would. And then the last thing I think the coolest writer I've ever heard about was from the Foo Fighters, great band. They made a illustrated comic, almost like a cartoon book or a um, like a coloring book. 
they had their writer illustrated so that when they sent it, it stood out and people actually read it. But it's like a picture of Dave Grohl in the green room eating green M&Ms or whatever. And it just gave them something different to look at. I think that's a creative way, especially for comics, to maybe think about approaching their writer. With the the club show, Rick, obviously that may involve the drinks and the food and things that would be more club-centric, whether that be non-alcoholic or alcoholic drinks or what quality of meal you would want would also be on the rider, I would assume. And does the rider include production or is that a, is that the technical rider? Because I know in band world, when I, used oh, yeah, to, when I used to book bands, the technical requirements were quite often, for, particularly for heavy rock bands, they were much more important to the artist than what some of the food and drink rider stuff was because they wanted to turn up and get the best light and the best sound that they could. Right, yeah, tech rider in comedy... In clubs, it's kind of assumed that they're going to have the right setup, but if it's an outdoor event or an arena or a theater, the tech rider is definitely something you want to include. And that would be whether you want to monitor on stage so you can hear yourself. Yeah, can we just, uh, I know you got, you, you've mentioned monitor a fair bit. If you're from a country that doesn't use the word monitor so much, you may use the word fallback. So if you're familiar with the word fallback, essentially it's so you can hear yourself at the same time as the crowd. And it also will as long as you're not in a room with a lot of phase cancellation with weird stuff bouncing around, you'll actually be able to hear the gestures that you make into the mic, whether you hit a really hard P, so you you want a plosive there. It gives you more idea about how you're not just hearing yourself, but how you're actually addressing the mic in terms of intensity. And that's right. basically, and that's pointed back at you as the performer. Yeah, and it helps you not lose your voice because if you can't hear yes. yourself, you keep getting louder and by the end of the show, you have no voice left. Yeah. So if you've ever gone and watched a rock band, particularly someone that has to yell over a loud drum kit and you're wondering, well, he blew his voice out really quickly tonight, he or she, but that didn't happen last time. It may not be their fault as a performer. It could be the fact that when you first saw them, they had great foldback. They didn't need to scream to hear themselves. And the next time, maybe... They couldn't, and I'm assuming it's the same for a comedian playing with a fallback. You don't have to feel like you're yelling so people can hear. That's excellent. Exactly. So I promised Rick I'd try and keep these short because, I mean, it's actually me that has to go to work, <laughs> and I'm on a timeline, so that was awesome, Rick. Thanks for that. Sarcasm isn't structure. It's a delivery style. So I think Jeff Caldwell might have come on the show. I think I brought him up earlier in our conversation, and... He said that he's sarcasm on 1,000. So clearly if you're that, if your jokes are that well-crafted, sarcasm can be nearly your entire act. But for the average person, like I was very sarcastic in my first few times on stage, Rick, and it, I thought I'll just amp that up to 100. But it turned out I was already at maximum sarcasm for Josh and I couldn't go further without feeling like I was being inauthentic. So what would you say to people that rely heavily on sarcasm? Because to you it's more purely just a delivery style than an actual technique, as you call it. Right, yeah. When you write comedy, there has to be a, a few things technically. There needs to be a, a clear and concise setup that establishes some kind of expectation. You have to have a uh, payoff with a misdirection, something that nobody could have expected to hear, and then maybe a tagline that follows it, the logic of that joke further or the logic of the punchline. If you have all those things, and you're super sarcastic on top of that, then the sarcasm is like gravy on top of icing on top of the best cake you ever had. You know, the punchline is the icing, and then sarcasm just makes it that much tastier because it's a full plate of gravy on top of that. If you go out on stage and just throw gravy at the audience, the sarcasm, 
without the structure underneath it, you have to have an audience that 100% is on board with who you are and could care less about written comedy or any misdirection or any any real jokes. There's a handful of comics that can pull that off for a short amount of time. But even the most sarcastic comics that have a, a good stage show has to have great material underneath that. So when I when I first get new students in, it's one of the first things they do is, is they'll, they'll send me something as homework. And it's just like, man, these people are idiots. It, there's no punchline at all in there, you know. And they're like, well, when I tell my friends that, they laugh. I'm like, but your friends have known you for 10 years, and they know you're not serious when you say this, and that's why it's funny. So you have to have the real material underneath to make it work. And really, if you have great material, you could stand on stage with your eyes closed and speak in monotone voice like Stephen Wright and get a huge reaction if you have great material. So add the sarcasm, but don't expect the audience to get your sarcasm Assumption is the lowest form of communication, and assumption is the reason all people are disappointed or have accidents or have divorces because you assume something that wasn't actually happening. So don't think you're telling a joke when you're not. Okay, that's excellent. And putting gravy on a cake, that must be a Tennessee thing. We don't do that down here. <laughs> so uh, we, 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 then we put sugar on top of that. <laughs> right. Well, that probably counteracts the gravy somewhat. <laughs> so <laughs> just that was from episode 12, by the way. Uh, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt my own podcast, but I did. Hey, this is Rick Roberts with three exciting virtual classes being offered in January of 2021. We have the Stand-Up Comedy Level 2 Writing Workshop. That's right, Level 2. First time ever offered. This is a deeper dive into comedy writing, and it's designed for people who are already performing, but maybe not getting the reaction that they deserve. Class meets January 4th, 11th, and 18th, 7 to 9.30 p.m., and registration fee is 99 bucks. You can go to schooloflast.com, click on the Next Classes link to get registered. Also coming up, we have the Stand-Up comedy performance workshop that meets on wednesdays january 6th 13th and 20th 7 to 9 30 p.m central same registration fee of 99 dollars, and that will get you performing a zoom set for three minutes and then feedback from me and your peers in the class again you can sign up for that now and i'm really excited to announce the first ever virtual version of the business of comedy workshop that happens saturday january 23rd 2021 from 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time. That registration fee is also $99, and all three of these classes are designed to get you further down the road, bigger, better, and more bookable. Identifying your weaknesses as a comedian in episode 27. So maybe quickly, as a beginning comic and intermediate, and maybe as a headliner, because you've spoken in the past about sometimes when you reach a certain point in comedy and you know that there's guaranteed laughs there. And I think Nate Bogazzi might have mentioned in an episode, the setups get longer and more wordy and you might start putting, you know, a counter narrative into the setup because you start, you're not concentrating maybe the way you were when you first told the joke. And you can end up maybe doing what I think you call a split premise where it's, you've got to rely on people remembering 30 seconds ago to know what the punchline's about. So can we just talk a little bit about how you identify your weaknesses? Because I know for me, I want to start doing act outs for certain things I'm telling, but at the moment I'm working with the mic in the stand. I'm a big hand talker, so that counteracts a little bit of, I guess, the monotone kind of delivery that you just mentioned, but I rely a lot on my hands more than anything to get a point across, and I'm not confident enough yet to embody another character. 
And that's, I think, my number one weakness as I see it at the moment, but I might be completely misguided on that. <laughs> so how do we actually do an assessment? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to look at yourself objectively because A, you have it's to hard to look at myself full stop, Ricky. So you you've been looking at me. You know, it's hard to look at me full stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's an interesting question because as you go, you'll get better at things. And and so it might be even a better way to explain it as as the three parts of the comedy growth, your the opening act, the middle act, and the headliner. So let's look at the opening act first. So what your strength should be as an opening act you know, we expect you to, to be funny and it's going to take a while to get there because you're new. But what your strength really should be is uniting the audience, 300 or 3,000 or 30 people all into one group. That should be your strength. And then once you have that, you may be strong enough with material that the club owner wants to move you up to the middle spot. And you'll immediately find that that skill is going to help you. But maybe you didn't work as much on writing material when you're the opening act, because you're just trying to get people on one page as quickly as possible. So I would say most features don't spend as, as enough time as they should on writing. What got them there was their ability to, to engage a crowd, but what's going to keep them there is their ability to make that crowd laugh. And then when you're headlining, it's a whole nother level of engagement. And not that every headliner does crowd work, but if you've never worked on crowd work, and you're a headliner and you need it, um, that might be your weakness. So an MC can do some crowd work. Where are you guys from? Who's here for the first time? Anybody celebrating things like this tonight? And you can develop that early on and use that later on in your when you're headlining to actually engage during in the middle of a bit. So there's a lot of things to look at. I think I actually have a checklist of uh, a com- – it's called a comedy scorecard where you can go down this list and, and kind of rate yourself at the end of a show – how was my eye contact with the audience? How was my delivery? Did I nail the time that I was given on stage? Did I try out a new joke? Um, I give you like maybe 10 things. And if you weight each of those 10 points for a 100 perfect score, you can honestly evaluate yourself. And the other thing I would say is print out two of those and maybe you watch a comic, they watch you and you grade each other so that you can kind of see from somebody else's point of view, oh, I thought I was great at crowd work, but they said I got there for five minutes and nobody even talked back to me. So having an outside source is also helpful when it comes to, to finding your strengths and weaknesses. But you have one. You just have to figure you have at least one. I've still got three or four at 30 years in. And so I keep working on those. That That's amazing. So just one last one. And then I'm going to ask you a personal question, Rick, about just something I've been thinking about. So in episode 44, you brought up Toastmasters as a way to get time on the mic in front of people that are going to critique as much as anything your language and choice of language. It, uh, I guess there's Toastmasters, which people may or may not be familiar with. They can Google that. There's Toastmasters groups all over the world. Is there any other ways that people can get on the mic in front of humans that benefits comedy? And is there anything that people maybe think is going to be benefiting their comedy that really, you know, might actually be a distraction when it comes to talking in front of people? What are some good things to do? What are some some things that maybe aren't so great? Like is performing to someone privately in a room like I had to do last week in the lead up to a show, does that even help or is that just teaching your bad habits? So, Well, that's a great question because it's hard to know the bad habits until it's too late, you know, because yeah. they're just... 
they're not even habits yet until you've <laughs> done them too, so many times that it's now hard to get out of your system. Yeah. I think anything you can do where you're speaking in front of people and, and these days, you know, if, if you're listening and you work for a company and you have online meetings, the first five minutes of every online meeting, people are just waiting for people to log on that got on late. So volunteer to be the person who is speaking to the group while everybody's logging on before the meeting stop, starts. And you could actually learn how to do Zoom crowd work that way. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I've done a few of these virtual events this past year where that's exactly the case. They're logging in. People are There's always somebody that's never used Zoom before and they're late or whatever. Or they're, they're dial up instead of a broadband connection. But I'll just go ahead and greet people before the show even starts. I'll just say, hey, I'm, I'm Rick. I'll be the comedian later. But you know, before I start, I see, Jim, you've got an interesting background there. What is that? Is that a moose head on the wall back there? Tell me the story behind that. And you can actually engage people. And then everybody who's logged on but not, and waiting for the meeting, they're, they're learning about Jim as well. So that would be my way of getting a little bit of stage time when you can't get out of the house and you're doing virtual events for sure. Toastmasters, like you mentioned, is is a great... It usually takes place in a meeting room at, at somebody's company, and they've, they'll have people from the region come in, and they've, they'll do funny story competitions, a lot of different things. Uh, that's a great way to do it. If you're in college and you're listening to this, uh, if you have bands that come in, if you have poets that come in, if you have artists that come in, tell the dean of student affairs that you want to be the person who introduces them and that you'd be happy to go up and just kind of talk for two or three minutes. You might be able to work a few jokes in there just to kind of get in front of a crowd and get a reaction. If you're in school, like I know high school kids now that, that do the announcements in the morning and they're using that as a time to tell a couple of jokes and be funny so that people actually listen to the announcements. <laughs> uh, same thing for people. Like, I've got a friend, Johnny W. He used to do funny announcements at church just to get people engaged with it. He's doing comedy full time for several years now, but that was his initial way of kind of getting a reaction from the material when he wasn't in front of a, a, a professional group, you know, a comedy club crowd. Okay, so just with my example before, I did a couple of me going through my set to one individual last week. And you're not normally going to do that to a complete stranger. So is the feedback you're receiving from a friend or a partner, girlfriend, wife, boyfriend, husband, uncle, whatever – is that really just about getting the words to come out of your mouth and make noise? Is there much more you can take away from that? Because Well, I tell you, if nothing else, at the very least, you hear yourself saying the words for the first time. So you're, you're learning how you would actually tell the joke if yep. you were in front of a larger audience. Yeah. The other great thing, though, if you have one person or a handful of people and it's intimate and it's not a big rush, when you get done with the, your jokes or your set that you were going to do, you could just say, was anything unclear? do you have any questions about what I told you? Or were you waiting for me to say something that I never said? That might be an obvious punchline that you missed, but the whole time they're thinking you were going to go there. Now you might want to avoid that because everybody was expecting you to go there, but it may lead you down a trail that has a lot more going on. So that literally happened to me last week. One of my friends that I did my set to, she said, that was really funny where it went, but I, was, I expected that you were about to go here. And I don't know whether it's because I had a split premise thing going on and she was had the other part of it in her head, but and that's probably just my lack of skill to be able to pick that at the moment. But I went away and thought about it later and I was like, uh, that actually, even though what I have already is probably funnier and more unique than that direction, maybe it's worth exploring that in the future with some writing to see whether I can test those two things out because as much as it's great for me at my level, Rick, to be out there and 
I finally got to do a show again for the first time in a while and getting some – I got my first applause break that I've ever gotten. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that was for a quick joke that I came up with last week that has much more of the hallmarks of a well-written edited joke maybe than some of my other more story-type jokes. So that feeling was so much better than me getting to be, try to be clever that I was like, ah, hearing the laugh, that's, that's where the gold is, <laughs> not just getting ah. to – show people that you're smart or articulate or clever or whatever yeah that was that was a bit of a learning i don't even know where i was going there i just got lost in my own memories but if the strongest reaction you're getting and genuine feedback from other comedians from the headliner down through the rest of the lineup is i really loved that one particular joke and for me it was the joke that i just spoke about that got a little applause break and the first time i've had to wait for people to stop laughing before i could move on so if that's not that similar to the rest of your act at the time, do we keep bouncing between maybe what you're trying to do long-term versus those moments of, okay, obviously I have some skill for writing this type of a joke on some level because people reacted most strongly to that. Is that a distraction or is that a good skill to be building alongside the other stuff or what? how do we approach that or when you're at my level, a beginner, I have a passion for both kinds of comedy myself. I love storytellers, uh-huh. but I actually like people like David Tell that's just kind of little mini stories. They're not one-liners, right. but they're not great big long stories either. Do you just kind of throw everything out there just to kind of get it all out in the open? Yeah, when you first start, I think you do. And if you find that you have more traction with one style over the other, that might be what you pursue the most. And with that particular joke, I'm sure you're already thinking like, Man, should I put this the first thing I say in the show or, or early, or should I it's save gone, it for it's later? Gone through my head, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it, it, say, let's say if that's a one liner and you do stories, it might be a great thing to open a show with or put early because they don't have to listen to a whole story to get to the big big laugh. But it might be also great to put that at the end because if you get the light and you see you've got thirty seconds to go, you can wrap the story you're on, deliver that one liner, and it's different than everything they've heard. It's great to to surprise them with something at the end that they haven't heard anything stylistically to. That's why a lot of comics will end with an impression at the end or yeah. a song or some big act out bit because it's a gear that audience hasn't hasn't been revealed to the audience yet. Yeah. So I guess my question for you is like if you could look at structurally what makes that joke work, my guess is there's a really strong misdirection in the punchline. And then once they think about it, they're like, Oh, that's that makes total sense. Yeah, it's it's much more classic misdirection than maybe some of the other stories that are more exaggerating real-life events is probably more the other stuff. But, yeah, it, it's yeah. more of a classic joke, I guess, as per your writing course. Not a one-liner, well, but if, a little bit longer than a one-liner. <laughs> right. Well, you could challenge yourself to look at your longer stories and see if you could condense that into the same you know, 90 seconds or 60 seconds or whatever that, that big joke is that you have now. See if you could create a fortune cookie tweet version of that big story and get right to the big misdirection quicker. Not that you'd always want to do that if you enjoy telling stories, but it would give you a different way of telling that whole story if you're running short on time. And you, you may eventually build up enough of those micro versions that when you're doing a five-minute set, you could tell 10 stories and just crush. Yep. And when you can do 30 minutes, you can tell the full stories. Like yeah. it, it'd be interesting to even watch a comedy special that way. Like two stages, this stage you tell the short version of the joke and this stage you tell the long version and you bounce back between the two. As a comedy writer, I'd be fascinated by that. Are you about to do that, Rick? 
have you just told us your plans for the future? Just to finish up today, I'm actually starting to run late for work, so I'm sorry, sir, that I'm going to have to go, but is your plan to do a split comedy special where you give us the short and long versions of stories? And if not, why not? <laughs> no, because I don't know if I'd have the... It would be a while before I'd have big enough audiences to, to do that well, but yeah. maybe. One thing I would like to do, though, is show... Uh, maybe in a podcast episode. And if I don't do this in 200 episodes, we can recap and do another one of these where you say, hey, in 226, you said you're going to do this, but you haven't yet. I'm more than happy to help out. (laughs) Yeah, but I was thinking about taking a joke that works already, have a recording of that, and then changing one word in the punchline just for one night to show you how it doesn't work if I say it this way, even though everything else but one word is changed. Right, and is the actor from Police Academy, was it that... What was that guy's name again? Uh, well, there was a few few that were comedians. Bobcat Goldthwait, yeah, Michael what the, Winslow. What was the older gentleman's name? He used to sell metal paneling or siding for houses. Rodney Dangerfield. Was that was it him that said he used to remove a joke until it stopped working? Yeah, yeah. he would tell a joke and he'd remove one word till it stopped working. Yeah. And then he'd put that word back in. Yeah. And so the episode I would do would be like, here's how it works, but here, if, if I use the same amount of words, but I change this one word... How you can hear in the audience is it's a different, lesser reaction. I, I do have to go, Rick, but there's just one moment on the podcast where you're telling a joke about 3D printers, and it might be several years ago now, when you listen to hundreds of episodes in a condensed period of time. When they actually came out probably means less, but I think you tried a couple of different versions of the companies or there was you tried a few different versions of different word choices, and essentially they meant exactly the same thing but you were getting much stronger reactions from certain words than you were from other words. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that might be worth people taking away and thinking about that. Have I got the crux of a great joke, but it's not hitting the way that I think it should? Maybe it's just one or two words in there, not the whole premise itself that's, you know, flawed. Yeah, a lot of times it is the word choice that makes a big difference, for sure. Yeah. Righto, Rick. Well, thank you so much for letting me do this. I wasn't... Rick didn't have any idea we were going to do this till we got on to record something else today, so... He had every right to say, that's a silly idea, Josh. Not happening. So thank you, sir. And I better go. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) No, it was a blast. And I'm glad we got to those because if if you're you're wondering that, probably other people are wondering, when's he ever going to answer that question? So hopefully this is a good episode for a lot of people out there. Excellent. Righto. Thanks, mate. I better go. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Josh. Josh, thank you so much for doing that. It was fun, and I hope I answered the unanswered questions. If not, we'll do it again. Don't forget about the upcoming January performance class, writing level two class, and business of comedy class. You can find out more about all those at schooloflaughs.com and click the next classes tab and then click virtual classes. Thanks. You guys take care. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Last podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.